Hello, good afternoon, good evening, good morning, whatever it is for you. Welcome to another episode of the Not The Top 20 podcast. It's so nearly the end of the season and today we're going to be previewing all the stuff that's going to happen this weekend on the final day. Leagues 1 and 2 on Saturday, staggered, and the championship final day on Sunday. There's still some stuff to play for. We're going to get into just how much in a second. Our news from our end, for anyone who missed it, anyone who doesn't follow us at NTT20pod, and surely if you do, you cannot have missed that last week we appeared, George, on EFL Matters on Sky Sports Football with David Prutton. It was our first, uh, our first time on the telly together as Not The Top 20 Pod. And uh, how, did you, how did you find it? How do you think it went? Yeah, I thought it was good. Uh, it was a good way to mark our near two-year anniversary. Um, Prutz was a great man. And uh, yeah, fingers. We were, we're ambitious enough to hope that that's the first of many, and that's not the top of our mountain. So we'll see. We were very well looked after. Um, we we enjoyed sharing a dressing room at Sky. Very near. The, we we saw um, Jim White doing his Sky Sports News uh, coverage, and that was all very exciting. But generally, hopefully, it came across if you if you watched it, and if you haven't, I'm sure you could still find it on demand. Hopefully, our, our sort of plan and our goal was that it would it would be like us on the podcast that it wouldn't be too different, other than our faces being lit up by cameras. And uh, and generally, I think we achieved that. If, yeah, if anyone from Sky is watching, you know, if you listen to our first podcast, um, it sounds pretty ropey now. So uh, <laughs> maybe in the same vein, the more often we're uh, we're, we're on, yeah, definitely, the, the better we'll get. Uh, final weekend, George. Does it feel like I don't know if I'm being a bit negative here? To me, it feels like there's less on the line than we've had in, in previous seasons. Yeah, I'd go with that. I, th- I think two weeks ago, if you looked at, even last week when we were on um, on uh, EFL Matters, there were lots of talking points, lots of things happening. And, and in the games since then, everything's almost tied up now. I mm. think you're looking at, at the League 2 relegation as being the main um, interesting part left, really. Well, I um, mean, and the, the and championship relegation has the potential the to be special. I mean, the, the good thing about that is there are five teams who can still go down, and that's obviously mm. great. Even though two of them, I think, are fairly unlikely. But um, that's the thing: the, the the way that the fixtures have fallen, it's really hard. There's such tough fixtures for all of them, which is, which is good I and bad. But it makes it. Look, I put it this way: the, the strong favourites to go down are Burton and Bolton, who are the two occupants of the the remaining relegation spots. Yeah, and that, in a sense, I don't know. For me, it, it lessens the excitement. But of course, you know, the, the the craziness could still come to pass. I mean, it the, just yeah. And I, I think you're lacking that almost that um, Burton Bolton game on the last day, where you could just focus on that one stadium and, and know what was going on based on, on what was happening there but uh, the, the other interesting thing is that we've still got the battle for second place in the championship which in previous years we haven't had it's been tied up earlier than that and yet even so and maybe we're just being um, too, too picky here and a bit spoiled but because of the fixtures again Cardiff at home to Reading and, and Fulham away at Birmingham it seems and I think the bookies go with this as well so unlikely that, yeah, that there'll be anything exciting if, if you're someone who's into backing two to five shots I think Cardiff's a pretty good one um, in, in my book um, so and, and Reading 50 to 1 to go down despite the fact they're one of the five teams you can get 50 to 1 of them thanks. to be relegated we, we, so. we did say we think we thought they'd end up on uh, on 43 points and it's looking that way but it, but and now it looks like that could be enough um, mm. so yeah I, I agree with it. It, it just feels like there's a there's an inevitability about most things. I would say that the, the Barnet Morecambe um, one is, is an interesting one. Mm. Um, the Rochdale Oldham battle for to, to stay up in League One is good as well. And, and obviously, the, basically all three relegation um, fights are interesting still, but there just seems to lack that one 
game that we can focus on saying, you know, whoever loses this is going to be the one who pays for it. Let's let's run through them just quickly. In 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 the championship, it's it's Reading and Birmingham just a uh, and Barnsley just above the relegation zone. Burton and Bolton in it. Now a lot comes down to to the final day, but Burton and Bolton essentially will have to do something special to get out of it. We'll have to win really to get out of it and they're playing Bolton are playing Forest at home a winnable game you'd say Burton Preston away now the issue there is that Preston could still if Derby were to bottle it uh, against Barnsley could still reach the playoffs so again there's there's nothing particularly easy there and and for me it will be Burton and Bolton just a step too far for them to to overturn the gap uh, but I don't know maybe, maybe you've maybe you've dreamt something maybe you've seen you know could could Barnsley could Barnsley and Birmingham and Reading all lose? And then what would that mean? I guess a point for Burton, a win for Bolton could make things pretty interesting. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not relegating Burton yet. Um, I think that the momentum they've got and their ability, um, you know, in the guys they're in currently, I don't think them going to, to deep down and getting a result is, is out of the question by any means. I think almost it plays into their hands that there's a slightly desperate sense for Preston to have to force a result and then have to rely on other things to go their way where they they will get chances um, inevitably because of the situation of the game so but and I'm not relegating Barnsley's an interesting one obviously they they, they beat um, Brentford something I didn't think they were going to be able to do yeah I mean, um, and it, so, so, so the buoyant you know just, just the buoyant nature of that result in itself mm. will give them some belief that they can continue to do so um, and if, if both those teams can manage to somehow pick up wins then, then suddenly Birmingham and Reading are, are looking a bit hairy. Is there a chance that Derby could could do the ultimate bottle job? I think this might surpass anything previous. I mean, actually, that's a lie. They had that loss to Reading on the final day about three years ago, which mm. was quite spectacular. <laughs> but, I mean, if they were to lose at home to Barnsley and Preston beat Burton and Derby to miss out the playoffs in that, in that way, that would be something quite special. Uh, obviously, we've got that battle for sixth place, Derby and Preston, but Derby very much in the driving seat. Same with Cardiff and Fulham, as we touched on earlier. So that's how we're looking at the championship. In League One, huge game last night between Scunthorpe and Plymouth. And I, when I was on the 72 on Monday, I sort of bigged up the, the story, the narrative that was behind Plymouth, having been in the, in the bottom four, of course, earlier on in the season until about midway through almost uh, but I thought that would sort of I thought that that meant they'd win tight games more so than other teams but now you have to look at Scunthorpe who are certainly in the playoffs and most likely playing against Rotherham and you've got to say that under Nick Dawes the caretaker manager they, they look an entirely different prospect as they did in the 10-15 games before uh, before Graham Alexander left so I was looking today about maybe having my um playoff tricksy bet before this weekend just to eke a little bit of value out for okay. the teams tell us about um, it and I was looking at Scunthorpe fairly favourably uh, if you take out a chunk of the season where they're in a rut they are a automatic winning promotion team in terms of form um, if you look at their recent form as well and the the rise under the, the you know the caretaker manager four wins on the trot and then anyone who watched their draw with Oxford um, on Sky knows they should have been about five nil up at half time. Mm. Um, so you can almost put another feather in the cap uh, of doors. So for that reason, and, and the teams that I mean they went to Charlton and beat them, which could be a huge psychological advantage coming into the um, the playoffs. They, they've dispensed with a 
uh, a very good Plymouth team who are on riding the crest of a wave again on Tuesday night, last night, l- live on Sky. A very eye-catching um, performance as well. I mean, the two yeah. nails, a solid win at the best of times, but it was a really good performance. A couple of outstanding performers in Adela Kuhn and the left-back Townsend as well. And it just... You know, if <laughs> it, it often happens with League One teams when they're in a rut, you you look at the squad and you think, oh, none of these guys are really playing very well. Maybe the squad's not that good. And and of course, when they're in form, you look at the likes of Ojo and Tony at Townsend and Adelican that I've touched on there, Dwayne Holmes, and you think, actually, Jesus, these guys could be these guys could be great. And, and for people who who weren't listening to the podcast last summer, um, we both believe in in the the record of teams who've who've blown it in the playoffs the year before. And at half-time in the second leg of their playoff semi-final last year, they were 1-0 up on aggregate against eventual winners Millwall. So mm. they were 45 minutes away from a Wembley final there. So for that reason, I, I think that they are, are the team almost quietly who, uh, who I would fancy to, uh, to be the ones to emerge victorious in the playoffs at the moment. I'm sure that'll change again Obviously, by the time it all kicks s- off. still possible for Plymouth to gazump Charlton to a place. But again, we're talking a real long shot. There'd have to be a win for Plymouth, a loss for Charlton and a six-goal swing. So, you know, I, I was going to say stranger things have happened, but that would be right I up mean, there. I mean, it would be a very fitting end to Plymouth season. <laughs> <laughs> it would, wouldn't it? Uh, down, down at the bottom of League One, it's a shootout again, this time between... Rochdale, who are in the relegation zone, and Oldham, who are just outside it. And Oldham travel to Northampton, uh, who are down in, in all but mathematics and mathematics. don't have a manager. <laughs> and Well, it's one of those ones where, like, it's, what is it? It's, it's three points, but it's 17 goals. So yeah. they're, they're, they're not mathematically relegated. That's what that phrase was meant to mean. <laughs> um, Oldham away at Northampton, Rochdale at home to Charlton, who obviously need a point to secure their... Um, playoff spot it all points to Rochdale going down uh, but on a I suppose on a game by game basis they're still we think capable of pulling out a result yeah again I uh, I think this is going to be an interesting game Pure, as we've said it's very very unlikely that, that Charlton are going to throw this away they need a um, you know a six goal swing into, but that's going to massively play into Rochdale's favour here mm. you know a 2-0 defeat right now Charlton job done lovely go home um, and that could easily mean that they, they are very happy to not just sit back but, but just not really go for the win and, mm. and to uh, give away chances like that so I think Rochdale and Rochdale's home form has often under Keith Hill been very very good I think we've seen a resurgence in form over the last couple of weeks I think they were unlucky to throw away that lead against Oxford on, uh, on Saturday to two penalties which has turned around their season really um, and if they can get the result at home that I wouldn't put past them, then I'd, you know, I basically rather put my money on Rochdale picking up more points in a clutch situation than Oldham. Oh. And with only one point separating them, you know, although, uh, and goal difference on the side of Rotherham, sorry, of Rochdale, uh, I don't think this is over by a long stretch. I, I, if I was an Oldham fan, I'd still be really, really concerned. They are certainly not in the best form, I think it's fair to say. There's one more interesting quirk in that League One promotion uh, playoff battle I should say that's that Plymouth are playing against Gillingham now Gillingham don't particularly like Charlton and uh, if let's say Plymouth are leading in the second half and it's comfortable who's to say that, uh, that the Gillingham fans wouldn't almost fancy a couple more Plymouth goals that to, to maybe close any gap that might be I mean it's pure conjecture but it's certainly a wrinkle that and it would be remiss of us not to flag that sort of thing up on this Gillingham have scored one home goal in their last six home league games mm, tasty and and have conceded loads. They lost 3-0 to Blackpool the other day. 
Um, again, this is... Um, got the worst home record in the whole division over the season. Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. I mean, that... that, that Remarkable I, would, I, would, I, would, I wouldn't put it past Plymouth at all to stick a few past them. So maybe, without realising it, I'm persuading myself that uh, the Green Army dream is still alive. Nice. Well, League Two, as you say, it really is Barnet and Morecambe. There, there's a small sniff of Mansfield to, to, to crack on into the playoffs. That would mean them beating Crawley and Lincoln or Coventry losing. Lincoln at home to Yeovil, you just... You just think it's so unlikely, don't you? And, and this Coventry-Morecambe game, which is a really interesting one, a point for Coventry secures their playoff spot and a point for Morecambe makes sure that whatever Barnet do against Chesterfield, they can't reach them. Do you believe in my conspiracy theory that this will be either a nil-nil or maybe like a 1-1, but 1-1 where you go like, hmm, that was, that was an interesting 1-1? I think given the fact that if it was if the shoes were on the other foot and it was Martin Allen managing Morecambe, it would be the most Martin Allen thing to do would be to make sure there was a draw and just keep it all very and I'm I'm I would be very, very surprised if he hasn't been on the phone to Mark Robbins a fair bit in the last few days, ensuring in whatever way emotionally that, that that's not the case. Mm. <laughs> um, and also, I think that there's... I'm sure, I don't know if the best I don't, I don't mean to hint at, by the way, match fixing, if that's well, no, what but, anyone but, but, else but, is thinking. But, but. It, it just, you know, again, starts at a draw and it's probably quite an easy result to, to hang on to. But mm. at the same time, these are football players who, who are going to try and win a game of football. And, and, and a fair few of them will be playing for their futures. Commentary players will be playing for their uh, place in the playoffs. So, I mean, to, to give you a bit of colour, at the moment, the draw price is 13 to 8. Um, when normally you know, the rest of the games are approximately 14 to 5. So mm. a much, much shorter price. So bookies obviously think that, that there could be a, um, a convenient draw here. There I, was a game the other day between I'd be, I'd be Yeovil and Forest Green, one of the midweek rearranged games where they both needed a point to secure their safety. I mean, this and that neither of them are really in much danger anyway, but they played out a beautifully boring nil-nil draw. And that was just on my mind when I looked at the fixtures. But uh, just a word on Barnet because it seems... Crazy that that you know that they probably will beat Chesterfield. They've won all of their home games under Martin Allen, and they're going to go down to the National League, I think. But but maybe not. I mean, Morecambe are miserable. They're in a, a tough spot off the pitch, as we know. There's a bit of an update on that Morecambe board situation, but I'm not sure it necessarily spreads that much joy amongst the fan base. There's been so many false promises, so many basically people that haven't had the club's best interests in mind and, and now they've been sold to a company with the word investments in the name and that always raises a couple of red flags for me personally. I think there's just a lot of distrust there and it's it's such a shame for Morecambe fans because things really are trending downwards and even if they do stay up this season, you know, the, the, of course the dream owner is hard to come across but it looks again like they, they're going to be messed around and, and the general rule as we talk about all the time is that there's only so long that can last really so again even if they stay up this season doesn't necessarily spell a huge amount of positivity for Morecambe with, with an off the field situation that is certainly concerning for the fans I think um, but you're going to go with still very much a chance of Barnet pulling off a great escape I'm going to say that they won't but uh, we can only remain to be seen we're going to touch on playoffs next week we've got a really exciting more than, more than touch on, I think. Yeah, we're gonna we're gonna smash them. Three separate playoff previews, three very special guests, one for each league, and uh, another overriding, an umbrella special guest as well. And and George and I will be giving 
all of our in-depth thoughts, maybe some tips, etc. We're going to get bang up for the playoffs, but at the moment we're still thinking final day. And, and we've got past that. We've gone through the permutations there, and I, you're going to have to make your own minds up because, as you can tell, on a lot of those, it's uh, still pretty hard to tell. A couple of more general things, George. You're quite well-placed, I think, to talk about uh, the situation at Sunderland and, more specifically, the fact that the consortium that are well, currently being vetted by the EFL, but to all intents and purposes, will take over Sunderland as they head down into League One next season, fronted by a man called Stuart Donald. Now, there's already been bits and bobs that have come out in the press, but you're pretty well-placed to tell us a bit more about Stuart Donald, as he is a um, pretty much a big Oxford United fan and, and a bit more involved as well. Yeah, um, my only actual dealings with Stuart was a Twitter argument back in about 2012 when I got <laughs> angry with him for leaking information about future signings. Um, <laughs> and then we, then we exchanged a few DMs. No, no, he's, um, by, all, by all accounts, by people that I know who do know him, he's a... A very, very good man um, who just loves his football, loves Oxford's, um, has a decent wealth um, on the back of, of you know, family business. Uh, I think he's tried in a few different guises uh, to get involved at Oxford, whether it's been himself or his family buying the club or, or as part of a consortium like this. Um, it wouldn't surprise me, not that I know anything, but it wouldn't surprise me if, if the money behind this consortium maybe wasn't just from Stuart maybe I don't know this uh, and, and maybe similar to the to the money that was um, being linked to Oxford in the summer because I think he was involved that in that sense, wouldn't it yeah. yeah I think he was involved in that but again I don't want this to sound as if I'm lifting a lid on anything this is just pure conjecture um, but no I mean by all accounts at Eastley as well I've seen some people talking about about the money he put in as some kind of negative you know, he did unbelievably well to, to get Eastley to the to the National League playoffs uh, and very close to the football league, uh, they've obviously been losing money since then. But it's you know it's his money. He's leaving the club debt free. He's t- he's taken on the losses that they've been uh, registering. Um, and yeah, I I don't I, I doubt for a second that it's all him. Um, you know, it's going to be just Donald money going to Sunderland. But I, I I can assure fans listening that he'll be doing this uh, as a football fan. And and I think having spoken to people, he was always a little bit reticent to get too involved at Oxford because. He uh, bleeds yellow, let's say. Um, and for that reason, you know, a club like Eastleigh and then on a bigger scale, Sunderland suits him better because it can be more of a business decision. But at the same time, uh, this won't be an in and out job. I'm fairly sure that, uh, that him and whoever else is involved will have big, big plans for the club. Do you think that him being involved might mean Michael Appleton being the next Sunderland manager? Well, it's no surprise to see Appleton and Wilder as the uh, one and two favourites at uh, straight away because I'm sure he knows them both pretty well. Uh, yeah, I, I think it would be a great fit. Um, whether or not he'd go, I, I still have a feeling there's probably been conversations about the West Brom job, mm. um, in which case uh, I doubt he would go. But uh, yeah, I, it wouldn't surprise me. It was a shame when he was first linked or when, when, when David Jones tweeted saying that he thought Appleton would be a good fit. The amount of Sunderland fans telling him that, that they were too good for him and, and who was Appleton and he was a terrible manager was just a bit, a bit sad. But uh, I, think, I think the, you know, I think Sunderland fans need to have a little bit of a bit of a reality check, but uh, but yeah, no, he, it, would be, it would be a great appointment. Chris Wilder's been sounding off about things behind the scenes at Sheffield United. There's something that needs to be sorted out there between two, shock, yeah, two of the board members, and and Chris has been very vocal about that uh, in the last few days and the last week or so. Uh, so he's the current favourite, Appleton's second favourite, Mick McCarthy third favourite, of course, currently out of a job, very much looking for work. He said once he left Ipswich, and Sunderland's. Former manager Chris Coleman is the favourite for the Ipswich job. 
So there's a there's a scenario where McCarthy and Coleman swap jobs essentially. Who comes out of that swap better off? I was just going to say interesting that Appleton was 16 to one this morning. And he's now odds on in a place, which would suggest there's probably more to it than just us chatting. Um, who'd be better off in that swap? I mean, it's very hard to say considering Sunderland fans seem to think Coleman had the potential to be a decent manager, even though I'd, I'd never really seen it except for um, having a Gareth Bale full. Wales um, and then in, in Mick I think you're always going to overachieve whether or not that, that translates into promotions with a club like Sunderland in, mm. in, in League One I'm not sure um, but I'd, I'd probably say that McCarthy at Sunderland would be a better a better appointment than, than Coleman at Ipswich uh, we've got a couple more questions to go through that people sent to us earlier on Twitter and a couple of things also to touch on MK Don's relegation was confirmed last weekend and they drop into League Two. Now, we, we pretty much touched on it uh, over the last few weeks. It was always looking likely, uh, especially once Dan Machichi had been removed from his post. But it's certainly worrying times for a club that had lofty ambitions just two or three years ago of looking certainly to establish themselves as a championship club and, and possibly look further. Obviously, with Wimbledon securing their survival last night, there's 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 been a lot of... A lot of tweets noting the fact that uh, obviously Wimbledon and their fans had to start a club from scratch. I think it's 16 or 18 years ago now. And uh, they were, I think, six or eight tiers below perhaps MK Dons at that point. And they now will start next season above them. And a lot of, lot of justice perhaps being done. A lot of Wimbledon fans who have worked incredibly hard and had to start from scratch. And, and the joy that they're feeling right now is, is uh, you can certainly understand it. I think that's fair to say. And now on to Wickham, who were promoted on Saturday. What do you think they're going to be like in League One, George? And what do you, uh, you know, how do you view their success this season? Do you, 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 I seem to remember predicted a pretty good season for them, and I wasn't quite as hot on them. So, you know, as as someone who likes Ainsworth and the job that he's doing, what, what do you think he'll be like up yeah, in League One? Yeah, I think there are similarities between um, them and AFC, AFC Wimbledon in terms of the the step up. Um, but I think the Wickham are probably better suited to it. I think in Ainsworth, they have a manager that I personally would, would, would value ahead of ahead of Ardley, even as good a job as he's done. Um, the issue probably has to come with personnel. Um, I was sitting with a friend of mine in, in the pub when, when the first Wickham goal came in on Saturday and he just couldn't believe that Nathan Tyson still played for Wickham. Uh, <laughs> and and when you imagine they've got, you know, Tyson up there, you've got Craig McHale Smith and uh, yeah. and you've got Akinfenner on the bench. I mean, this is it's an old man's club really. Mm. Um and, and you have to wonder you have to assume and then Adam Aleb Adam El Abd at the back as well. I mean, it's a it's it's, it's an experienced squad. It's an experienced squad and uh, and you have to think that they're going to have to maybe find more mobile more, they're not going to change the way they play let's say that but but maybe the personnel has to change but but we've seen constantly that if you're half functional in league one there are always going to be enough bad teams that you're going to be fine and for that reason um whilst i don't think that they'll be able to emulate maybe the successes of certain promoted teams this year um i i, I, I think they'll be fine grimsby have stayed up secured another another year in league two and there was definitely a time very much on the podcast, but also privately, where we certainly didn't think that they would. So, you know, jolly good show, jolly good appointment. <laughs> you like that? Yeah. Uh, good effort yeah. from him. You, I remember you looked at me quizzically when I said he was the best appointment in League Two in our, in our alternative awards. Yeah, that's fair. That's um, fair. I mean, the, the thing that I find really impressive is that 
we've seen over the last few years since we've been doing the podcast increasing amounts of people like him without 500 games of football league under their belt as a player being appointed in the EFL and a lot of them have struggled I think it's fair to say even though generally we we want to we want to support them a lot of these non-former players have struggled and and some have done very well but when Michael Jolly came in, obviously with a lot of chat about his uh, his background, his his, uh, his academia, uh, his work in the city, and with the fact he was taking over a Russell Slade squad that you just couldn't imagine would be the profile of squad that's, that a manager like him would want, it shows even more impressiveness to me that he was able to just for a short term basis just adapt just to do enough, get past, as you say, get the, get the results in the big games. And it gives me quite a lot of positivity for next season. I'm sure, I'm sure it does for you too. Yeah, and they're, they're unbeaten at home under, under Jolly, which is impressive as well. Um, so if he can keep that up and, and, and make you know, what, what should be a, a bit of a fortress of a stadium, I mean, it's a great place to go and watch football. Um, and they've had some good times there. You'd, you'd think that if he can continue that form and, and make them hard to beat at home, um, it'll be interesting to see what kind of players they bring in uh, over the summer, but uh, no reason why they they shouldn't have much loftier ambitions next season than just staying up. Keith Curl will leave Carlisle at the end of the season. They were very much in the mix about for about half, if not longer, last season. You might remember, and obviously made it into the playoffs and lost to Exeter in the semi final. This season, they've really not troubled the scorers particularly. They've 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 just sort of lighted around mid table, as far as I can remember, anyway. But. How do you consider Curl? Do you think he'll be highly sought after by, by other clubs in League 2, League 1 even? No. Because uh, I think the fans are a bit disappointed that he's left. Yeah, but I, I just think that with Keith Curl, you kind of know what you're going to get yourself into. Um, I'd say it would be a massive shock if he were to take over a, a, a League 2 club and suddenly send them on a journey up towards the top end of League 1. I just can't see it happening. Um, I think that maybe he's, he's, a so, he's a safe pair of hands, but at the end of the day, I think that he strikes me as a manager where it's always going to end in thanks very much for your efforts, but uh, we're going to look a different way. Mm. Um, maybe if he went to one of the bigger uh, National League clubs, he could do a decent job in taking them up and with that momentum go forward. But um, but yeah, n- not for me. That's interesting. I, th- I think we'll see him. I, th- I think it'll be a club of a similar start size to Carlisle, if not bigger, that Keith Curl rocks up at. But uh, that'll be interesting to, to keep a track of. Joe Dunn has been appointed permanently as Cambridge manager. He's been interim manager for the last 14 games after the departure of Sean Derry. And general consensus seems to be that he's had a really positive impact. Uh, they moved up a couple of spots at the table, obviously didn't reach anywhere near the playoffs, just a, a exactly mid-table. But a bit more excitement. He's brought definitely brought the best out of George Maris, who's had an unbelievable end to the season. Uh, Giovanni Brown, obviously another young talent at Cambridge that they'll be looking to develop further. And Dunn's got a real history of youth development. He's worked at the club in that capacity before. Uh, before at Colchester, he was manager and before that assistant manager and, and very much involved there. Colchester, as we know, a club that take the development of their youth players very, very seriously. So uh, exciting times, I think, for Cambridge with Joe Dunn at the helm. And if you want a laugh, head to at NTT20pod on Twitter because we tweeted a couple of pictures of Joe Dunn over the last few years today. <laughs> and there cannot be a manager across the EFL that has gone through quite the same transformation. It genuinely, it's, it's the same guy. That's what I'm saying. Go and have a look. It's Some the same really guy. ropey hair. We've been asked a couple of questions to finish, George. I'm going to throw this one over to you. We were asked 
by Darren. He says, what impact do you think having the summer transfer window close early will have on clubs? From his view, as a Brentford fan, it felt like having two players in, in Dean and Hotter playing while clearly looking to leave in the first month contributed to the sl- slow start and missing out on the playoff. So in his eyes, that there's a potential spin on it, a positive spin on it. But I'm sure a lot of clubs will want a bit more time as well. As a fan, I think it's great. Um, I, I think the, once the season starts, that should be your squad in, until the window. Mm. Um, as you say, that there's no point in, in having uncertainty. We had it with, with Marvin Johnson this season, where the inevitability was that he was going to go um, and he was still stayed with us playing poorly for a couple of weeks. Um, and at the same time, it's beneficial to the players. We talk about the, necess- the need to have full pre-seasons and, and, and the like. So this is going to make it much easier for players to settle um, there's, there's probably a concern that clubs are going to try and stockpile players and there are going to be a lot of guys um, you know, who aren't going to get much game time but I feel like that happens anyway There's going to be uh, the spotlight is going to be on the recruitment departments of these clubs because what is it about three weeks less time than they, than they had previously and considering teams don't tend to start pre-season until what the, the very end of June probably with the oh, World July, Cup the start yeah. of July there's only about four or five weeks window now, really. They're going to have to get their business done very early. And, it, and we will certainly be keeping a close eye on which teams we consider to be, you know, cl- with a clear plan and, and recruitment strategy and which we, uh, uh, appear to be struggling with the changes. Also helps from a punting point of view as well, because no more backing someone to be top goal scorer and then they suddenly go to another league two weeks later. <laughs> yeah. It, on, on which note, by the way, that Mark McNulty pick now... And we're going to feel a bit unlucky when that doesn't come in. I know. Because Billy Key scored about 10 penalties. And Mark McNulty, you feel like if he'd been able to get going a bit quicker, he could have hit 30 this season. Anyway, maybe we'll get one right next season. Um, Matt Story asked, should players, clubs and fans celebrate staying up? I get why it's done, but in most cases, the season has still been a failure or a disappointment. Saw a few Grimsby fans question why their club had tweeted saying, join the party after their safety was confirmed. What, what do you reckon about that? Bit tin pot or fine to celebrate? Definitely fine. Like, it's, it's an outpouring of emotion. You know, if, you're, if your best mate's been ill for a year and suddenly he's, you know, he, like, can't walk and he suddenly gets out of his bed and starts trotting across the room, you're going to be happy. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, well, you know, so that's it. You, you, you made the best out of a bad situation, except that there's been shortfallings. Look at the ways to improve it. But at the same time, like an outpouring of relief is, is, is cause for celebration. You see it every day. Like there was a guy on Twitter yesterday saying that he didn't understand how Oxford's upturned form was a, was a cause for positivity. It's like, well, what do you mean? Like we were going down. We're not anymore. Like it's great. Enjoy it. If, you, if, if you're not going to get excited about things like staying up, then just why do you like football? Very, very fair point. Finally, James Bolton, not finally, penultimate point, penultimate question. James Bolton wants to know, and I think we've more or less discussed this without directly answering this question, but just in case, which leagues have the biggest and smallest gaps between them? We'll start with the smallest gaps. He's saying, you know, National League, League Two, League Two, League One, or or League One to the Championship. I'd say League Two, League One is the smallest gap Um, because, as I said, there's so much joss in... In, uh, in, in League One three promoted teams from last season all in the top half I think yeah. that, that pretty much says it all and I think we've spoken about it although I forget whether it's on EFL Matters whether it's on TalkSport whether it's on the pod <laughs> these days we're oh, everywhere we're everywhere um, I can't remember where we said this but not only that but League One arguably will be no stronger next season having lost Wigan and Blackburn who have you know yeah. I'm sure there'll be a team that'll be strong I suspect it might be Sunderland if they make the right appointment 
But even so, again, that that middle ground is going to be is going to be ugly in League One. What about the the biggest gap between them? Um, I suppose. Well, I mean, League One to the Championship. Yeah, yeah, I think so. You've seen a few clubs that we fancied to to, to go well up there mm. struggle. I mean, look at the, the teams down there at the moment. You know, Bolton, Barnsley. Um, they're all clubs that we've had uh in league one recently even even burton wasn't too long ago was it a big part of it's the the financial disparity as well isn't it i mean you, you're getting half of the league essentially or not half of the league probably about a third of the championship at yeah. any given time are still receiving parachute payments in some form so you know you don't get anything special for being promoted from league one to the championship yeah exactly. but you do get a nice big bonus for for getting relegated down indeed to the championship last but not least there's been a big hoodoo to do about nothing with programmes. The EFL are going to vote uh, and see whether the production of a match day programme for every home league match should continue to be a requirement, should it continue to be mandatory next season. There are some clubs who are concerned about declining sales and increased costs. So they're going to vote on that. Now, on Twitter, I've been a bit frustrated about this. The argument has been framed as the EFL are trying to bin off programmes. I can't understand why everyone's getting so upset because it seems obvious to me, democrat- get democratic even, that clubs should be able to choose. But maybe I'm missing something. Maybe I'm heartless. No, I'm with you. I, I don't see what the issue is. Um, I think obviously people don't like change and, and the idea that people, you know, if you go to an away game and you won't be able to uh, buy a programme upsets and you know that each their own, I guess. But, mm. but this is the modern world and things are going to change and, and this is one of them. Yeah, I mean, look... I like a programme, maybe as much as the next man, maybe a bit less than the next man, I guess, these days. Very overpriced. But, and, that, and that's probably a big part of this whole debate. And I just don't think that that many teams will bin them off anyway, certainly not to start with. But those that will, will have the right reasons for doing so. You know, they're not, they're not going to be doing this because they're being baddies and they hate programmes. They're going to be doing this because they're losing money from doing it. Yeah, and, and, the, and exactly. the, the demand isn't big enough. That's, that's why it'll be. Uh, that's that for us today. Thank you very much for joining us on the Not The Top 20 podcast. We hope you'll do so again next week. In fact, if you had to choose between this week and next week, well, it's too late because you've already got this far. But... Next week's really, really important for us. Three playoff previews. We're going to work really hard to make sure that they're filled with stats, with good opinions, with really nice insight and some analysis, the, the likes of which we're not sure that you'll get anywhere else. So please make sure you're subscribed to Not The Top 20 Pod. Make sure you follow us on the social networks. We're on Instagram these days and we love it. Um, at NTT20 Pod on all the platforms. And again, as always, thank you very much for listening. <laughs>